Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast to help you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner, Ari. Hello. Thank you guys for joining us in, nine, in our 99th episode. Um, it's exciting. We're approaching our second century in this podcast. Um, because of you know the coronavirus and what's happening in the uh, you know, obviously with the market and you know, the world entire world affected by this pandemic, we thought that we would talk about um, the coronavirus again in this episode uh, and how it relates to you and, and your and your and your uh, investment portfolio. So before we do that, Hari, can you give us a quick disclaimer? Yeah, this is the uh, Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. Um, but we are not financial advisors. We don't know your specific uh, financial situation. Um, so please use this podcast for uh, educational purposes only and contact the appropriate advisor if you need uh, assistance in those areas. Great. Um, great. Maybe just a quick housekeeping items. Um, we don't, you know, since we're not analyzing company a company today, uh, we're not going to use a checklist, but um, if you guys take a look at our previous episodes, we have uh, you know we have several episodes where we are analyzing a specific company and we use a checklist to analyze them. So if you like a copy of that, uh, you can you can always email us um, at info at valueinvestor.org to get that checklist. And also we have a Slack channel that we open up to our listeners, and in there you can talk to us directly chat with us and also the rest of the, the rest of the community our listeners so if you like access to that you can also email us to the same email address info at valueinvestor.org all right hari um so coronavirus what is yeah nobody's you know, heard of that before so <laughs> we haven't been nobody's what? talked about it or anything so what is it yeah exactly what uh, <laughs> what does it mean to you right now what do you, how do you, let's just start there. How do you feel about it? What's going to happen in the next, in the next few weeks? Because people are talking about reopening the economy now and some countries are already instituting a few, you know, a few measures to get to that. How are you thinking about it now at this point? Well, I, I mean, I think the, uh, you know, we are at a point right now where we have to start thinking about this as, um, you know, as something that is more, trying to weigh the balance between the healthcare system and, you know, the, um, the health of the economy. Right. And at this point, the economy is kind of taken a huge blow. We've already seen a large number of, uh, people, um, you know, going to unemployment, um, you know, going on the, on the, uh, you know, getting, uh, unemployment insurance or getting paid for, uh, being unemployed and the number of, people that are in that category you know in i think in a two week period has exceeded you know every other uh you know pandemic or sorry not pandemic but every other economic shock that we've ever seen so this is far worse in that in that regard but the interesting thing about it is that there is no you know there is no uh systemic problem that is occurring like we saw in the bank banking sector when the banking sector went out uh in 2008 so but that doesn't mean that there are a bunch of businesses aren't either closing or are unable to pay rent or all that 
So how quickly can any of these things come back? And, you know, and we saw a couple of weeks ago um, in the U.S., we've passed a stimulus bill uh, with was, you know, totaling about two point two trillion dollars. And a lot of that money was going to small businesses to help, you know, fund their payrolls. Um, And I think three hundred and fifty billion dollars has already been allocated to small businesses for loans and other things. So. But even that hasn't been enough to stem the the tide of a bunch of closures, a bunch of businesses that couldn't withstand, you know, that were basically operating month to month, you know, from a budgetary standpoint that are probably not going to be able to either come back or are not going to be able to operate at the same capacity that they did before, right? That either closing stores and so forth. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you know, there's this discussion about whether you know we were trying to bend the curve, we're trying to reduce the the number of uh, cases, um, and in a lot of places outside of New York, we haven't seen a lot of cases actually. Right, we're we're looking at a fairly small number of cases um, in the rest of the United States, um, and you know, with New York kind of being the epicenter of all of this. So I think what would, what is going to have to happen is that regionally we're going to have to start opening up the economy. So whether that is economically has to occur in you know in places that are you know f- far distant apart like Montana, South Dakota, some of these states didn't even have any sort of shutdown, quote unquote, um, and other states you know like Texas where we've seen you know less than 20,000 cases that the burden hasn't been that much could probably reopen a lot faster than the state of New York. Um, yeah. So on that, on that topic, I read an article, an op-ed actually from Wall Street Journal talking about, um, this is not directly related to the economy at large, but hospitals right now, hospitals and healthcare providers, there is an unintended consequence of the shutdown and allowing people to not allowing, but, um, canceling all the elective surgeries or elective procedures in healthcare and hospitals, which is the main source of revenue for these hospitals, because there is an institutional policy that says we will, we will, you know, we will punt or cancel altogether these elective surgeries, elective procedures, which, as I mentioned, is the main source of revenue. These hospitals are, are, you know, are being crippled right now. And as it relates to that and what you're talking about of regionalized kind of opening in an incremental way for places that hasn't been impacted as much as New York or Boston or say even San Francisco or Seattle, you know, it it does make sense to me that as, as you know, to, to, to kind of institute this rolling, you know, rolling basis approach of, of, of opening the economy. And as an example, this hospital, you know, hospital finance is, is a kind of case in point for that. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of hospitals that are already operating off of very thin margins and really needed, um, you know, really need the support of um, elective surgeries. They need to have, you know, their hip replacements, knee replacements, their um, hernia surgeries, the things that are kind of the bread and butter that bring in money to the hospital to allow them to also then operate at a loss you know, patients who come in with COVID and other things, you know, that kind of stuff is, you know, when you turn it all off, you know, you basically have a large part of the economy that 
I mean, I, I, healthcare accounts for, you know, a significant percentage of, um, you know, the GDP of the, the country. So if you turn, turn off that faucet, what we're seeing is um, healthcare is being shut down, even though we think, oh, it's, this is a pandemic. Uh, you know, the people in that industry who are, um, you know, you know, it's not just doctors and nurses. There's lots of uh, ancillary people who are being furloughed as we speak. Um, and so these, these folks are not able to get, um, you know, they're going to be out of work. Hospitals are part of the bailout package, but I don't know how much and how quickly it's going to be able to prop them up. And there actually are publicly traded hospital um, uh, groups, uh, one of those HCA being, uh, you know, being one of them. So it'd be interesting to look at their financials also and see how much of an impact they're going to take uh, from something like this. Yeah, exactly. I think hospital hospital generally is an, an, an interesting kind of microcosm of what we're seeing with this uh, pandemic. But there are other areas that is totally impacted by this, namely, obviously, the hospitality industry, right? The the food and beverage industry. There is the great famous oil industry that's been very much disturbed in this pandemic with both the supply shock and the demand shock. Uh, so maybe we can go through one of these, you know, one by one and kind of talk about them a little bit. All right. Yeah, so I, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Like the airlines have gotten a big bailout. We've seen them, um, you know, and so that's a big part of the hospitality thing is people have to go somewhere for you know their vacation, uh, and they typically stay in a you know hot hotel or something like that. And there's a lot of money that's being spent on conferences and things like that. I imagine those kind of things are going to be the last thing to recover, um, you know, after COVID. Um, and they're going to be the last things that'll get opened up, right? I think Facebook announced this past week that they've canceled all large gathering events until June of 2021, um, you know, which is, I mean, it's a full, you know, 13, 14 months away from now. Um, so what does that do for businesses and other things that spend money on, you know, and, and think about that from, you know, the the perspective of you travel to a place you spend money in the local economy, like a city like Orlando, Florida hosts tons and tons of uh, vacations, but it also hosts a tons of ton and ton of conferences, right? So you cancel a conference um, that would have attracted 20, 30,000 people. Um, and how much impact does that have on the economy, right? We talked about Austin canceling South by Southwest, which counted for several hundred million dollars to their local economy. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a shock that, you know, government bailout and things like that aren't going to help, um, you know, those things because they may take a long time to recover. Um, so I, I'm, you know, hotels, um, a lot of those hotels are not being used at all right now. Um, and if they are, you know, it's, you know, 90% reduction of their, you know, pre, um, coronavirus volume. Um, you know, they all have rent to pay. They all have, um, you know, you know, people that, uh, you know, employees that they have to cover. So a lot of these people are now furloughed and they're not paying rent to, you know, their, their leaseholder. Um, so that, you know, the, the economy is, you know, it's, it's all tied together, right? Uh, you know, it's the thread that we're pulling on, on the, the sweater that's all now unraveling. Yeah. I think one interesting kind of conversation that's been emerging with the pandemic is 
is the reliance, over-reliance on other countries for supplies. Yep. Right. So you're seeing, for example, like masks, a simple thing like masks. We can't even produce a lot. We can't produce at a rapid rate to take care of our own population. And this is not just happening in the U.S. This is happening all across the world, right? Um, so like given that, I think that is a you know case in point for this kind of change in change in frame of mind and, and how we're thinking about efficiency right in the past it was all about efficiency you were totally optimizing for efficiency and lower cost and fast turnaround you know, just in time delivery all the all of those things and now i think the conversation is slowly drifting towards resiliency how do we make sure that our supply chain can can be resilient in the face of pandemic in the face of war in the face of you know, various things so I think that's that I think to me that's going to be interesting you know a concept a mind shift that that might play out in various industries. Well, and I think we you know regardless of your you know leanings po- politically, you know the the trade war that um the US had with China actually mitigated some of this supply chain damage that we're seeing. Um you know when the tariffs got uh, initially put on China a lot of companies just shifted their manufacturing from China to other countries in Southeast Asia or brought them back to the United States or moved them to other locations around the world. Obviously not all of it, but um, you know, I would expect that part of this is going to be a lot of companies are going to pull out of places like China. Um, you know, if the country shuts their factories down like they did in Wuhan and other places, um, you know, it's going to be very hard to maintain a supply chain. And then now you have, you know, the hydroxychloroquine medication um, is actually manufactured in India, you know, and there's, you know, there's a lot of demand around the world now for, for this drug, um, which it's, I don't know if, if the efficacy has been proven yet, but there's a lot of demand to purchase, you know, the supply and India is actually holding on to their supply, Right. So this is a generic drug that in normal circumstances, you could probably have a country learn how to do this and spin it up in a generic drug facility in six months. You know, now you don't have the luxury of doing that. Um, So, you know, these supply chains are are very fragile. And, um, you know, we we have to really pay attention to this because shocks can come out of nowhere. And I think we're seeing that right now that you know, basic things like masks that 3M would buy in bulk and then ship to the, you know, hospitals are now being used at a much higher rate and they can't replenish the supply fast enough, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You mentioned pharmaceutical industry, like India, for example. But when I first got my hands on, um, I think it was NVIDIA when I analyzed it a few few years ago, that was when I really got to understand the complexity of the supply chain, right? Yep. When you are making shoes, for example, or clothes, supply chain isn't as complicated, right? Maybe a few stops along the way, and then you get to the customer. But then you're talking about a high-tech semiconductor industry making very sophisticated chips. There, I got to really explore the complexity of, of it all, right? You are... Yep getting things from Korea, you're getting things from Taiwan and assembling it in, 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 um, and also from Japan and, and Norway and all these areas. And then, you, and then you assemble them and you design them. It's a very complicated process. And I think that is a 
case in point for the complexity of you know some of these industries right where you have built out a very robust maybe not robust is the wrong word but very complicated supply chain and if one piece of that puzzle gets knocked out for some reason you're talking about a disaster <laughs> i mean everything collapses that domino it's a domino effect yeah and i think the uh I mean, I, I think any company that has, you, you know, we, we haven't really thought about it from that perspective, but, um, you know, all these companies that manufacture things and sell them here in the United States are, are at this point, don't really manufacture it. They're outsourcing it to somebody to make it, and then they just buy it in bulk, slap their logo on it and, and sell it. Um, you know, the, the hit that they're going to take um, from this is kind of unknown at this point, right? We don't know when those supply chains come back. We don't know, you know, people start going back to work, but then these, you know, these goods are not even available to purchase, right? Um, they can't, they can't get raw materials or, you know, partly finished materials fast enough to build stuff. Um, it's going to be very interesting. Like I think the next year or two, um, you know, the, as it stands in the middle of April right now, when we're recording this, the market doesn't seem to has kind of shrugged off a lot of the the bad news and has kind of creep crept up from its low to about 30% higher from the low than it was you know you know at the bottom and i'm a little surprised by that because you know the 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 unemployment numbers look awful the uh everything looks terrible right and you know if you yeah. if you are on our slack channel you've probably seen that um a lot of people are just surprised that um this hasn't gone down, gone back down, you know, since, you know, the end of March when it was 30% lower than it is now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That is, that is quite surprising to me also. Um, and I guess as it relates to that, I want to pose you this question, which is, um, you know, in our checklist, we go through various things in terms of competitive advantage and, um, and then we go through the financials and various things to measure the, the robustness of this company as an investment vehicle. Now, one of the considerations we don't quite, we didn't quite consider is this aspect, right? Focus on efficiency. I think we do talk about that, but focus on resilience, right? Focus on resilience. We don't quite harp on that as much as we perhaps should. So maybe I want to pose you this question. Do you think we should, as investors, think about that more so in the future? I mean, it's hard to say that um, anybody would have really predicted this. This is obviously something that's unique in the last hundred years. We haven't really had um, anything like this, right? The flu of 1918 was kind of the last time anything like this has been around. Um, and certainly the economy didn't shut down then, right? This is the first time we've basically shut down the entire world's economy at, all at once. I would say that the pain that we are seeing right now is is something that we should kind of predict, but it's going to be hard to say in the future how 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 to mitigate that, right? Like you look at companies, you know, the annual report doesn't necessarily tell you, well, we we buy some of our goods from India, China, et cetera, right? They may mention it, but they're not required to. Um, and, you know, they may not mention uh, a lot of things about their own, the, the resiliency of that pipeline of, of, of items that they sell. Um, obviously, companies that are like, t uh, you know, tech companies don't have this issue, right? They are largely unscathed in this, in this market. 
um, largely because their employees can work from home. They're minimally impacted because, um, you know, there's no risk really for, you know, a lack of sales and things like that. Um, but even them, the, even there, they'll be impacted. Like we're seeing that Facebook and Google, nobody's buying advertising right now, right? Um, and, you know, I, I think the numbers are going to be shocking to a lot of people because they're going to say, well, it's just going to come back. I don't know that it is. You know, I, I don't know that it is going to come back the way that people think. So the resiliency here is a hard thing to measure. I think it's a hard thing to know where where it's going to fail. Um, you know, and I think the one thing that we haven't really mentioned here and I think is going to be interesting is, you know, all of the stimulus spending is going to create inflation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the purchasing power of the dollar going to be <clears throat> when we've just added you know, we've basically put two trillion dollars in into the economy that wouldn't have come in right <clears throat> by printing money, mm-hmm. and then that may not be the the end of it either. You know, right, right, yeah. Just maybe a couple points there. Um, you know, you talked about the difficulty of predicting a pandemic of this nature, right? Difficulty of of predicting. Difficulty of predicting an event like this where it really tests the resiliency of your business. Um, and this is not, you know, answering your questions. This is just a commentary. I've noticed that, um, you know, some businesses actually have like pandemic insurance. Mm-hmm. For example, like restaurant businesses, they have insurance for pandemic. They have, you know, and 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 when we talked about cruise, uh, the carnival in industry, the carnival company, they had an insurance. They took out an insurance for war, like war-like situation. So these are, you know, these are. There are pockets of industries where they are thinking about these things, but as you mentioned, it is very difficult. I mean, by its very nature, it is unpredictable. So, but I think more and more this is really about risk mitigation and thinking through problems and perhaps we should do more to think about these risks even though they might not be very very easy to predict we should at least kind of think about them yeah and i I think what we are going to see was the things that are not different about this economy this change that are we've seen in every other recession is that businesses that had high levels of debt that had a lot of um leverage on their balance sheet are the businesses that are going to get hurt the most, right? And then they may not survive, right? So this is how, you know, if we think of the uh, the economy as a, as a herd of, you know, wildebeests or whatever, right? You know, a herd of animals, the weak are the ones that get called off in this kind of um, scenario. And that, those are the one, the weak ones are the ones with too much debt. And, you know, I, I think we've, you know, if you've been li- listening to the the market, you've seen J.C. Penney, which was on its, you know, was which is on life support to begin with, um, you know, skipped a bond payment for, um, you know, with you know with the intent of renegotiating their their terms with their bondholders, um, which is not a, you know, I think a lot of people were saying that they weren't going to do well, but um, two months ago they were like, well, this will, you know, they'll be okay. Right, and I've heard a lot of people who are saying, "Oh, J.C. Penney is cheap; it's undervalued, et cetera, et cetera." Um, and now they're trading, you know, under a dollar a share, right? 
um, you know, from three or $4 a share, they've lost 75% of their value. So, um, you know, but, I, but the thing that was interesting to me about all of this discussion is when you look at stocks in the U.S., there were many companies that were trading at a PE of 30, 35, that had single digit growth rates, that had, you know, a lot of debt. And people were were happily buying them as if they were going to continue to be fine, um, you know, and had really no way of, you know, paying off this debt. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think those businesses are going to get, if they haven't already, are going to get crushed. You know, their, their stock price is going to get crushed as it should be. Right. And I think there's a lot of people who just are kind of oblivious to this, right? This is why, why we are value investors is that we don't want to ever pay too much for a business, right? Because the rule, the rule number one is never lose money. And the way you don't lose money is by buying a business that has a very strong moat and not paying too much for it. Um, and I and I think, you know, the resilient part of this is always the same, which is the moat, right? If you if you cling to businesses that have strong, resilient moats, you will cover yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I think we should transition, as you kind of briefly alluded to, about the government, um, you know, writing checks. Um, and you mentioned that with with the enlarged balance sheet of the Federal Reserve and many central banks around the world, what would that mean for us as investors? What would that what would that mean for us as consumers, active participant in the market? And you mentioned that this could create an inflationary force. I also heard a counterpoint to that, which is that it might create a deflationary force despite all of the printing of the money. And the reason for that is because people are not going to spend, right? People are not spending, even if they have money in the bank, they're not going to go out and buy things because the economy is so depressed. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, it's certainly possible. I think, um, you know, my, my spending habits, you know, for the month have gone down significantly and I have, uh, you know, we, I've obviously there's no restaurants to eat at, um, but my takeout, you know, has not been very much. Um, and I'm not spending a lot of money on things, um, you know, that I would have, we, you know, here in Houston, we had the rodeo in March, you know, I, I typically take my family there at least two or three times and we spend, you know, hundred dollars, $200, um, on rides and, you know, tickets and all of the things that we would do. So that money is not being spent. Right. And, you know, the other things that we would spend money on, are not being spent on either. And I think there is something to that, right? Obviously we're not taking vacations. We're not doing those things. Um, so I, I think there is some component to that. There's part of it is also going to be, there may not be money to spend on because, you know, the supply chains are disrupted and so forth. Um, and, you know, I think this is also kind of the shock for a lot of people that there's no savings that we had. So maybe the savings rate will actually increase, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I think there's something to be said uh, for that, but I do think that this is a fairly significant uh, amount of money that's being shoved into the economy all at once. Right. And so mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how, where this, you know, evens out and, you know, the fed will obviously play with interest rates to keep, inflation from you know going up too much so uh yeah it's been 
it's been, you know, I've been having conversations with my my friends and my colleagues about what what does this all mean, right? You're, this is, you know, a stimulus package that that is unprecedented and in a very short burst, short period of time. Um, I'm I am, you know, not an economist um, uh, at all, but it, it's just so it's puzzling to see what the outcome. It's very, you know, very interesting to see what the outcome of this of this all is going to be. And I think U.S. specifically is in a better position than many other countries because of the fact that, you know, U.S. government is printing dollars, which is, you know, the base currency for the world. Um, so U.S. is better off than many other countries. And I wonder what that means for, for example, you know, countries like Korea, for example, um, or, you know, maybe not so much Japan, but maybe like Australia or other or other parts of the country or parts of the world, what, 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 you know, what would this mean uh, for them? So, yeah, it, it's going to be an, a lot of, um, a, a lot of it is still unknown at this point, right? Even though these bills are getting passed and the stimulus is occurring, um, you know, this is un, unprecedented in a lot of different ways. Right. I, I do think that there are some economies that are going to be better uh, equipped to recover, <clears throat> you know, um, states that were unaffected. You know, New York is, I think, going to be a lot harder hit um, countries that have had lower, you know, overall um, impact like South Korea has had you know, been able to contain a lot of the infection uh, transmission, um, but they still have a lot of the social distancing. They have a significant privacy um, problem now that they've created for themselves by um, monitoring their citizens very closely, um, you know, in order to, to control this. And I think there's going to be some, you know, it, it's going to be a lot of things that we are, we're a, a lot of things in the world are now going to be in uncharted territory, I think. Um, and so it's going to be very hard, but I don't think that means that good businesses that are resilient are going to be things to ignore in this case. Right. And I think if you find a good business that you can, that has a strong moat and is cheap, then you should be buying it. Yeah. I think that's a good, good kind of um, statement to end this, this episode, right? The, the fact that um, resiliency, right? We talked about resiliency in the middle of the episode as a key item that we need to be looking out for in this new period. And resiliency is ultimately derived from competitive advantage. So, making sure that you thoroughly understand and do your research in in the companies that you own and really understand the competitive advantage and therefore you're able to derive some comfort in the fact that this company has a degree of resiliency that can be that can withstand the blow of a pandemic like this. Okay, awesome. Um, any other, any other comment Tari before we close out this episode? No, I I mean I I think uh you know we are as value investors, we don't try and focus a lot on the macro part of the economy. Um, you know, we we focus on the micro, which is at the individual business level. It's hard to to not speculate at this point, like um, you know what's going to happen to a business and so on, um, or businesses as a whole. But I would still tell people to focus on individual businesses and as opposed to looking at the market as a whole. Because there are going to be pockets of the economy that are going to be harder hit, and there are going to be other pockets that are doing better. And 
But, you know, that doesn't mean that um, traders and short sellers and all of these other things will not bludgeon everyone equally, right? So just pay attention to these because you may find a bargain, um, you know, amongst the uh, the dropping, you know, uh, stocks. And, and it's a good time to buy if you're, you know, if you find the right business. Yeah, great. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I hope you guys stay safe and your loved ones stay safe. Um, thanks again for listening and uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Thank you.